Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 489, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, the queen of women's history month. Yeah! That <laughs> that's how it works, right? Yeah, that's it, that's it. Oprah, <laughs> get out the way. Uh, Beyonce, <laughs> you done? Everybody else, it's time for Lorraine. Okay, I maybe I'm not the queen <laughs> Month, but I am a participant, a willing participant in the month of the ladies. So say we all should be celebrating the amazing women, including you, Lorraine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, exciting times. We've had busy weeks going on. You know, spring, it's beginning to thaw. How's how's everything been with you? You've been a busy boy. Yeah, been a little wild, been uh, running around, doing some stuff, some secret things last week that I will tell everybody about in due time. There's still friggin' snow in my backyard because the Same. sun doesn't like hit a certain area. So I have to go out there today when it's 60 degrees as we record and like push the snow into where the sun will like melt it. We're going to buy a fire pit this week. We found a, a one with like a great, uh, great ratings. And I, I know you and I were talking about fire pits a while ago, but Elizabeth is like, fire pit, fire pit. We bought a fire pit at the beginning of winter, and it was definitely too cold, but we would sit there freezing to death around (laughs) the fire pit. You know, fire pit, you want to do it when it's like crisp outside, but not when it's frozen outside. But we did make a lot of s'mores, and that is 10 out of 10 would recommend. Wow. All right. That's on the docket. Uh, yeah, there's all, all kinds of really fun stuff. I've been shooting some fun videos with creators, so talking to Jason Aaron, and did one with Kalinda Vasquez, who is wonderful. And so Kalinda, terrific. She's writing our America Chavez comic. And she worked on Marvel's Runaways TV show and all this stuff. She is married to a good friend of mine, and I didn't realize it because never, he's never said her name. Robbie Thompson, who's writer of oh. many, many comics of my Right. And, and <laughs> I, I was like on Twitter, and Robbie posted about Kalinda and I was like wait a minute and he's like my love and all that, like this really sweet stuff and I was like and then I texted him I was like I am a dum-dum and just realized now that your wife that you are always so like lovely about and talking about but you've never named is Kalinda who I just had this great conversation with and she's the best and then we shared pictures of our kids and it was really wonderful oh what a weird and small world I love that I know. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, A lot of stuff going on. And we're going to tell you all about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, and what have you. But of course, what everybody's been talking about for the last week, Marvel Studios WandaVision. Uh, Okay. (laughs) We don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't watched the final episode. We're going to give you another couple weeks to watch Mm -hmm. it before we just start spoiling everything. But Mm -hmm. oh my God. Holy smokes. I mean, I know that, you know, we watched it a little bit earlier than everybody else. I laughed. I cried. I Mm -hmm. inhaled a lot of air. (laughs) That one scene on the second floor of their house. Oh, no. I was like, oh, man, man. I usually watch the episodes twice at least. Mm -hmm. So I usually watch them when we get to watch them. And then I watch them with my husband when they come out on Disney Mm -hmm. Plus. And I was like, I'm not going to watch this part. And I got on my laptop and I was trying to just like, you know, not engage. And then I was like, wait, I do have to watch. And I put it down and I just sobbing within minutes again. And I was like, you got me. Yep. You got me, Marvel Studios. You Ugh. got me again. I know. I know. So good. But, man, it's a, an feels. emotional finale. But it's it's great. It, it, you know, pulled together all the different pieces and, and mm-hmm. answered a whole bunch of questions. But then by the end, it's like, all right, we're moving forward. This is the MCU. Hold on to your butts. There's a oh lot going God. on. I am just so excited for the ramifications of the show in the mm-hmm. Marvel Cinematic Universe moving forward. I can't wait to see how it all ties together because I think it's going to be really, really cool. 
I know. But, you know, we're not even going to be able to hold our breath, really, for more MCU because there's more Mm -hmm. coming. We're going to get to that in a second. But if you've seen the finale, you know that there are cool pieces of some changes and some different things. So if you want merch related to the finale, Wanda has some new items. I will say... (laughs) I'm trying to dance around it. Wanda has some new items available. One of them is a hot toy. Did you see the hot toy? No, I haven't seen the hot toy. I thought you were talking about the jewelry set. Oh, I haven't seen the jewelry set. Oh, my gosh. So they have Wanda and Vision's rings. They have the Mm. sword necklace. Mm -hmm. And they have a new item related Uh to uh her looks. Look? At the end of the season. Yeah. So that one was amazing. And they posted it actually on the Marvel social channels. And I immediately tagged our friend Faith, who works at Marvel New Media and is potentially the biggest Scarlet Witch fan of all time. And she's like, oh, you know, I clocked that and immediately ordered it. (laughs) Wow. I love it. Yeah, there's that. There's a Marvel Legends figure. There's I'm sure there's pops, but there's the hot toy is tremendous it's really really cool stuff yeah you can always go over to marvel.com slash must haves plural and see what's going on with all of the merch they have all of that end of season marvel studios wandavision inspired merch there right now in a lovely curated list and there's so much good stuff yeah. Uh, so if you're still on that big high for Marvel Studios WandaVision, you want a little bit more, of course, you got to check out Marvel <gasps> Studios Assembled. Did you, you gasped? Why'd you gasp? Because I just looked at the toy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Legit. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's that's so sick. nice. Wow. Yeah. Like I was saying, Marvel Studios Assembled is mm-hmm. now on Disney Plus, if you are listening to this as of Friday, March 12th. And it's great. It's really, really cool. Yeah. The first episode is called Marvel Studios Assembled, The Making of WandaVision, and it really goes into the making of that show, and it talks about how they drew inspiration from sitcoms and how they emulated different filmmaking methods from early television, and it kind of just goes over all of these sort of really unique challenges (laughs) that came with that, and also just like there are some like huge effects and things in the show that are really cool and different and they go into all of that as well so definitely go watch that if you are interested in movie craft even a little bit who knows you might even get some interesting knowledge out of it the idea that we can have this amazing nine episode original series on Mm -hmm. disney plus and then get a really cool long form documentary behind the scenes of it is so it's just so exciting and it's so good. Mm-hmm. Did you clock our friend Russell Bobbitt in? The, I did. It I looks did. like it is like like mm-hmm. the whole crew wore period wear during the first like two episodes, and they looked fabulous. Everybody looked incredible. And Russell Bobbitt is a friend of ours. He's the Marvel Studios prop master for a lot of the films. He worked on Marvel Studios WandaVision, and he's just a delight. Oh, also, I want to say you get to see the cast kind of just like talking backstage, which I always think is just Mm -hmm. really fun and charming to see how they interact when they're not on screen. Yeah. I mean, the chemistry between Elizabeth Olsen Mm -hmm. and Paul Bettany is legit. They are so they just look like they like each other and they're having fun and they Mm -hmm. get it. Oh, man, it was terrific. Really good. So definitely check out Marvel Studios Assembled on Disney+. Plus. Do it. But you know what's coming next week? Voss. Marvel Studios The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. I mean, I can't believe it. March 19th, we're going to get the debut of this new original series on Disney+. Plus. Right now, obviously, there's some cool stuff you can already check out. You can see some of the first trailers and teasers, character posters, all of that stuff is over on marvel.com and the Marvel YouTube channel to get you pumped. Plus, there's going to be, I'm sure, a lot more stuff available on the Marvel channels in the coming days and weeks around the series. So keep an eye out for that stuff as well, because it's a Marvel Studios on Disney Plus kind of year. (laughs) Yeah, which is pretty fantastic. Not complaining. No, not at all. The character posters, I was really excited to see that they dropped recently because you get to see a really good shot of Bucky's arm, which just and his like vest, everything about his Mm -hmm. his look is so cool. And of course, Sharon Carter, just boss. But I'm so excited for Daniel Bruhl as Zemo. Holy moly, that mask, the fur lined coat, Mm -hmm. like taking the that design from the comics and updating it and bringing it into live action MCU looks 
cooler than I ever thought it could be. It's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go check out all those posters over on Marvel.com. They're really cool. And I love that they have Zemo in the mask for this. The best. So dang good. Can't stop, won't stop with the MCU, y'all. It's very exciting times. And of course, you know, go watch the premiere of Marvel Studios' The Falcon and The Winter Soldier on March 19th, only on Disney+. Yeah. All right, let's move over to games a little bit, because over on Marvel Games, they are celebrating Women's History Month across a number of our titles this month. We've got Marvel Contest of Champions. There's a Boss Rush Challenge featuring six fights, each designed by a member of the community. You get to fight buffed versions of Elsa Bloodstone, Sorcerer Supreme, Black Widow, Jubilee, Tigra, and Pyramid X version of Storm, who she is friggin' awesome looking. (laughs) She looks like Storm but mashed up with Apocalypse, and I love her. I love her so much. Over in Marvel Future Fight, there is going to be the latest X-Men update, and that's going to continue with some brand new costume designs for Rogue and for X-23. And both of those characters also are going to get some massive upgrades. There's going to be Tier 3 for Rogue and Potential Awaken for X-23. So if you play those games, you're going to really enjoy those characters. And there's some like little character teasers that are super cute with them as well. So check those out. Yeah, and over in Marvel Puzzle Quest, there's some Captain Marvel action happening. So everybody who logs into Marvel Puzzle Quest throughout March will receive 400 four-star Captain Marvel shards for free. So she's going to be boss and badass and wonderful as Captain Marvel should be. So much cool stuff for Women's History Month over in Marvel Games. Yeah, pretty cool. Let's talk about Murder Hornet. I got yes. so excited when I just saw Murder Hornet listed in uh, in stuff on Marvel.com. Murder Hornet is a character in the new and upcoming Heroes Reborn story, which is awesome. It's a character designed by Javier Garon and Luca Pizzari. Yeah, and there's definitely some really great designs that you should check out over there. There's Night Gwen, and then there's Squadron Savage Cloak and Squadron Savage Electra. But my personal favorite might be Robo Crossbones. Robo Crossbones. Yeah, he and they all look so good too. They really look fabulous. But man, nobody beats Murder Hornet. <laughs> Even the design, the I think this is a Luca Pizzari image that's on the website. It says Murder Hornet, a very 2020 villain. <laughs> I mean, come on. Finally, we're gonna get the attack of the Murder Hornets we were promised. That's right. And if you are excited about Heroes Reborn, there's going to be plenty of comics coming your way really soon. It's going to kick off in the next couple of weeks and months, and it's going to go into June. And speaking of June, there's a lot of comic book announcements happening for June. We're going to get into those in more detail in the coming weeks. But Heroes Return on the docket, Predator number one in June. There's going to be Planet Size X-Men in June. And of course... The Hellfire Gala is coming up, and it's going to be F-A-B-O-U-L-U-O-U-L-O-U-S? Close. Fabulous? No, it will be Fabulous. (laughs) I'm very excited about the Hellfire Gala. That's going to be really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited for everyone to see that, too. It's going to be fun. Yeah, but um, some of those announcements, there's some details up on Marvel.com now. As we get more and we can sort of round them up in the next couple of weeks, we'll tell you a little bit more about them all. Yeah. Also, I wanted to let you guys know on the show, we've been spotlighting episodes of Marvel's Declassified for the last few weeks. And, you know, that's the show where we talk about all kinds of Marvel history and we declassify stories that have never really been told by Marvel from Marvel. So... Who's the Uh, we, Lorraine? Oh, the we is myself and my co-host, Evan Narciss, who's a wonderful journalist and writer of Marvel Comics himself. And now all the episodes are available on the SiriusXM app and desktop player. You can go and binge the whole ding-dang season. Plus, if you don't have SiriusXM, you can listen to the trailer now and you can get ready for the podcast, which is going to be available wherever you get your podcasts on March 16th. 
But if you love podcasts, you're listening to one right now. And on this episode, <laughs> we have a terrific interview. We have director of Marvel Studios WandaVision, Matt Shackman, on the show. Yeah. And yeah, this one is really cool. We talked to Matt about his approach to the series, how the characters have evolved, what it was like to replicate the different eras of TV and stuff. So this one's cool. It's uh, There might be a little bit of spoiler stuff in there. So if you haven't watched any of the show, watch the show. My watch God, the- what what are you doing? Yeah. Get it together and watch Come on. the show. We believe in you. You can do it. Marvel Studios WandaVision is terrific. You know that. We've been talking about it for a while. And now we're going to talk to director Matt Shackman. Matt, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and uh, your wild, awesome schedule to talk with us here on This Week in Marvel. We are super excited. Um, and, you know, the first thing we'd always like to start with on our show is asking, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first get like aware of or connected to the characters in the Marvel universes? My Marvel origin story actually predates my human origin story. Wow. I used to dress exclusively as Marvel characters when I was a kid, and I actually had to be told by my preschool teacher, um, Mrs. Eric, that I needed to show up dressed as Matthew to school, <laughs> that it was very unhealthy to come dressed as Spider-Man. And it's actually one of my favorite stories of when I was a kid because I I didn't own any normal clothes. So I actually borrowed clothes from my older brother, hand-me-downs, rolled up the cuffs on the pants and went to school. And Mrs. Eric was like, oh my gosh, I love Matthew so much more than Spider-Man and whatever. And then back then in preschool, you you have to raise your hand to go to the bathroom. And Mrs. Eric took me to the bathroom and I pulled my pants down and I was wearing swimming trunks. And she said, "Uh, why are you wearing swimming trunks? And I said, well, because today I'm Aquaman, which of course, DC character, sorry, but I had to be dressed as a superhero basically, exclusively. So I've long been in love with Marvel and these characters and you know, it's such a thrill to be working on a Marvel property. Oh, that's so sweet. I used to sit for a little boy who had two Spider-Man shirts and they were the only thing he would wear. So you'd just take one off, put it in the wash and put him in the next one. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. You also have some like amazing uh, nerd cred to your name working on Game of Thrones. Uh, also a big fan of The Great and some comic book adaptations. Um What drew you to working in the MCU besides literally being born into it, more or less? (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's been my passion to work on a Marvel property. I have been first day in the movie theater, you know, seeing every MCU film from Iron Man on. And, you know, I was gone. Do I had a, a little newborn. I was gone in Ireland working on Game of Thrones away from my wife, away from my newborn, feeling like a terrible father and husband. And, you know, came back and it was just about to time for my first episode of Game of Thrones to air. And I was sort of fretting. I was like, I was away from you guys. There was so much sort of cost to this. Um, I hope it's worth it. I hope the fan base doesn't hate this episode. And uh, my wife said, because she's so much wiser than I am, she said, you know, what would make it worth it? And I was like, what do you mean, what would make it worth it? She's like, one thing that would make it worth it. And I was like, well, if Kevin Feige calls tomorrow. And he did. And so, you know, that actually made it worth it. So there you go. I'm a bad dad, but Kevin Feige called. Um, So, uh, you know, that was a, a great meeting. And I loved meeting with him. He's as great as the movies he puts out. And the chance to kind of come and work on WandaVision has been just a a dream come true. You know, we we talk about these other shows and, and, and movies and everything. And, but Marvel Studios and the MCU, it's it's its own other amazing thing. You can't really compare it. And then we start to think about you've got the the final Marvel Studios Avengers movies, Infinity War and Ed Game. And outside of that, it's this is so far the biggest addition to the MCU at, at this point in terms of how long it's going to be and the, and the, the scope that we keep seeing. And it's amazing with it being such this cool, big undertaking. What's the first thing that you started to hone in on that you started to think, all right, I have to get this done to make sure that everything starts to fall into place. You know, when we started WandaVision, we had no idea that we would be the first thing after Endgame. Worldwide pandemic wasn't in anybody's, uh, you know, idea of the future at that point. And 
we were just thrilled to tell the best possible story about Wanda and Vision, two characters that have been much loved members of a very large ensemble for many years, but now coming into close focus in this show, telling the story of of Wanda becoming the Scarlet Witch, um, telling the story of, of where Vision has gone after Infinity War that most people are curious about um, and that will be revealed in our show. So there, there, there's really a beautiful love story at the heart of the show and a story about a person in Wanda who has had more trauma and suffered more grief than almost anyone in the MCU. And it's a story about coming to terms with that grief. And that's really the, the emotional heart of our show. Uh, and then it's comic book story, the heart of it, it's comic book heart is about really introducing Wanda as the Scarlet Witch. It's a big job for you. You know, it is a, it is a big story, you know, as Ryan was saying. And as the director, you know, I, I guess I, my understanding for network television is usually there's kind of a, a new director most every other week because you're kind of doing different parts of the process all on top of each other simultaneously. How do you then approach this where you directed the entire uh, series? How is that different for you and, and how do you balance all of it? You know, it, it's a wonderful opportunity to tell a story from beginning to end. And as an episodic director in television, you are definitely, you don't get that joy of seeing something through. Directing pilots for something, like you mentioned, the great starting a show off, casting it, building the world, setting a tone, setting a style. That is deeply satisfying. But again, you step away and that train is off and you're no longer a part of it as it heads off into its future. Um, but doing a limited series uh, like this is a joy for a director. I mean, it really is. It, and, and a show like WandaVision, which plays around in so many different tones and styles from big Marvel action to quirky vintage television is every day was its own unique challenge. No day was was like another day. And yeah, it was it was a little schizophrenic because you're doing all, <laughs> bits and pieces from six hours of content. But it's really fun to know that you're able to kind of pull all of that through from beginning to end and that there will be a consistent tone and style or at least a consistent approach to to different tones and styles <laughs> as you go along. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the the vintage television aspect, which I think is so cool and and very unique, especially for uh, a you know Marvel. Where did the decision to shoot with a studio audience come from, and what does that offer you as as the person behind the camera being able to to make this cool art? It came from the goal of being as authentic as possible. Authenticity has always been the sort of guiding thing for our approach to these sitcoms. You know, we, we wanted to make sure that it didn't feel like parody, um, that we were playing around with different eras, but that we were approaching them with the same rigor that they did back in the day. You know, that to make a great episode of The Dick Van Dyke Show was a lot of work, and it took a lot of brilliant people working together to make those episodes. And they last for generations because they have something common at their core, which is that they are trying to tell real stories about our everyday life. They just do it through this prism of comedy. You know, and one of the things we met with Dick Van Dyke before we started the show, and one, we, we asked him sort of, what would you say the governing principle of the Dick Van Dyke show was? Like, how could, if you could boil it down, what was the, the secret sauce? And he said, well, Carl Reiner would start every week of rehearsal saying, tell me what happened in your life. You know, what did you do this weekend? What terrible thing happened to you? What wonderful thing happened to you? And he would just shamelessly steal it all. So if it couldn't happen in real life, it wouldn't happen on the show. So if you're doing something that is grounded and could happen in real life, you can then do a silly pratfall over an ottoman and bounce back up. You can do all sorts of things as long as it's grounded, right? So authenticity was key. And the Dick Van Dyke show, I Love Lucy, they were filmed in front of a live studio audience. So if we're trying to do a show set in the 50s, it would have been shot in front of a live studio audience. So let's go do that, right? Which, of course, Marvel had never done. And with NDAs and all that sort of stuff, it posed a lot of logistical challenges. But what it offered creatively was this lightning in a bottle, this performance aspect that's almost like theater, where you rehearse, 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 and then you unleash it. And all of a sudden, you encounter the final actor in your show, which is the audience. What do they find funny? You know, some, it's really those wonderful moments where they, they awe, you know, organically, or where they 
laugh so much that it stops the action. Those kind of things are, are, are key to when you watch the Dick Van Dyke show. And I love Lucy and we need to try to find those organically. Oh, and it's so it's so fun to see um, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany in those roles, you know, uh, taking on those sort of Dick Van Dyke show kind of moments through all kinds of, of decades and, and different sort of sitcom genres. What was it like taking two characters into this new world who were already, you know, obviously as actors, they're very established in those roles and those characters are already somewhat trod? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, they, they are established characters, but they're not established like characters on Law and Order, you know, where it's like every episode is the same thing of, you know, you're going to go investigate, then you're going to go to the courthouse. I mean, in the case of of Scarlet Witch, or sorry, I say Wanda Maximoff and Vision, they have evolved over the films. You know, they continue, mm-hmm. the storylines continue to evolve. The situations that they find themselves in are different in every film. And it's the same in WandaVision. Like all of a sudden, you're in a completely new environment and add to that new styles, new tones, everything. Um, so we, we approached it, you know, the way I think any good student of television should, which is we watched a lot of episodes. We got together. We had sitcom boot camp. We tried on different tones, different styles. Um, and we discussed, you know, what made different comedy work in different eras. The Brady Bunch is very different from Dick Van Dyke. You know, uh, Bewitched is very different from Family Ties and so on. And we looked at how we could adjust our own approach based on the eras. Um, but yes, they they know who these people are. Um, they know what they have gone through. And together, we all sort of put our heads together to create where they're going. What can you tell us about the rest of the cast? Because um, it's really cool crew that surrounds Wanda and Vision. We needed the best Swiss Army knife actors you could possibly find. Like they had to have every tool possible. They had to be able to be brilliantly funny in a million different eras. They had to be able to exist in the MCU, large scale action drama. This show basically asked uh, it's like a masterclass in acting for all of these different people. And we needed people who could do that. Um, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, they are phenomenal. They can do anything. And to add to that, Tiana Paris, uh, Catherine Hahn, who, um, you know, Randall Park, all of these different people who we have in this show, they are all extraordinary and they are so flexible and supple as actors that they can do anything. I think Catherine Hahn is like Robin oh, Williams. Like, so funny. She's can be brilliantly funny. She can find a way to make something really big, but still grounded at the same time, which is unique. That's a Dick Van Dyke thing. That's like a, you know, that's a Robin Williams thing. Like, you know, she is that kind of person where she is equally as adept at comedy as she is at drama and everything in between. You know, also, it's so interesting because, you know, as you were talking about, you know, Wanda and Vision, this is their first time having a story that they're at the forefront of. They've always been in these greater teams. Uh, Was there any sort of one thing about them or their characters or their dynamic that you really wanted to make sure came across to fans and viewers? Uh, No, I mean, I think the thing that we that we all respond to about them it has been the same through all these films, which is that they have tremendous chemistry together. Mm-hmm. And that chemistry sustains in the dramatic, real MCU world. And it, and you'll see it in all of these different sitcom worlds as well. There's just something about those characters and those performers embodying those characters that just feels right together. And you're rooting for them. And there's something about how they complete each other, too. I mean, here is this, this woman who has suffered so much and lost so much and who is so alone in this world and how she finds herself complete through the union with this person who's not even human, really, or he's partially human, but he's more human than anyone else, right? He's this philosopher who seems to, even though he isn't like the rest of us, he seems to know us better than we know ourselves, right? And they complete each other, that he is absolute order and she is chaos. And that order and that chaos coming together feels kind of perfectly right, you know, and that's what the story is in our show too. And so I'm excited for people to see it, you know, develop. This is, of course, the MCU, and it feels like no one on the planet has been wanting to escape the MCU. You want to see everything that there is, but there are, of course, going to be people who see this as their first entrance into the MCU. You're their first time that they see, you know, uh, Wanda and Vision. So what do you think are some of the things that long-term fans or even some of these brand new fans should know coming into the series? 
Well, first of all, we are going to crush it with the Nick at Night crowd. <laughs> and those TCM viewers who haven't seen Avengers Endgame, they're going to be down. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, that is the interesting thing, right? We are creating something that is in the MCU. So it will appeal to, I, I, we hope, all of the MCU fans out there. But at the same time, we are bringing the MCU to television. And the show was, by design, a giant love letter to the history of television. You know, it is intentionally throwing our arms around all of the amazing work that has come before in television, starting with Dick Van Dyke in the 50s and 60s, all the way up to today. Um, so I hope that much like the MCU films, that this has a little something in it for everybody. Um, it has a, a bit of nostalgia in it, but it also is definitely building towards the future. You know, one of the things that's been so important about the MCU is each film builds upon the one that came before it and sets up the one that's going to come, that it's an interlocking narrative. And that's very very much the case with these Disney Plus shows. You know, I'm I'm just listening to you say this and it makes me wonder, you know, because this world is a little bit off kilter, right? This world that we're playing in in Wanda's world, you know, it, she's not completely in in line with reality. What are the complexities of telling a story where there are competing realities? I mean, that is the essence of our story is what is reality, mm. you know, and and does Wanda live in reality, uh, you know, or does Wanda make her own reality, you know, and reality is sort of the key th question about her power set, too. And that's sort of some, one of the big things we're exploring is what we are seeing real, you know. Ugh, we're all creating our own realities. My mind is bending in on itself now. <laughs> Rain, hold it together. We still okay. got more to talk about. Okay seeing this this really cool idealized suburban family life and this this version of reality whatever reality we're talking about it's clear that even from the bits and pieces that a lot of fans have seen so far Wanda and Vision they, they know something's a little off you can tell that they they feel it can what can you say about why they're retreating or going into these different types of environs in our first episode they very much want to fit in they're they're newlyweds they're in a new town making friends with the neighbors, inviting the boss home for dinner, you know, all the classic tropes of family sitcom life. But there is this sense of, of being different and of not necessarily being discovered as being different, um, wanting to fit in and, and making sure that they aren't seen as other um, in their own environment, which is important to them. And so that, that is a storyline that goes throughout the show and develops. And also this question of, you know, how did they get there? And what are the real rules of the world that they're living in? And who is in control of what's happening in their world? These are big questions for the show that have uh, slowly evolving answers. I mean, there's so much to think about with this show, too, because even every episode, you know, has, it seems, its own standalone design. How do you sort of create consistency and connectivity between episodes when you literally have a new set and new costumes every single one? It's a great question. And you know what? Uh, everything iterates. So even though you're in the same set in the 50s, now you're in that same world in the 60s. And it's just been changed based on the shooting style, but it's the same layout. It's TVs in the same place. It's just now a TV from the 60s. The couch is in the same place. It's just now a couch from the 60s. Everything sort of iterates and adjusts based on the era. They're using the same brands of Westview Dairy Milk. It just changes based on the era. Um, the magazine, the girl who's on the cover of the magazine that Wanda reads is the same model, just in a different outfit for each era, you know, so everything iterates that way. And we wanted to make sure that there was consistency as the world jumps through eras. There are a lot of things you can hold on to. The car, we tried to find a car that would be in constant production from the 50s all the way up until uh, the 2000s that we could have in the same color and use as the family car. And it just changes era by era by era. So that is hopefully one way that you can hold on to it. My my hat is off to your continuity person. <laughs> uh, Russell Bobbitt, right, is the prop master and, and working on a lot of those elements that you talked about. So it's it there's someone there who who gets it right and who understands exactly what you're doing. That it all just clicked into place for me. I was like, yes, 
That's so cool. Russell Bobbitt is a genius and a very, very passionate filmmaker. And it was a joy working with him because, yes, this everything that you just said is true. And him as the sort of designer of all the props was able to do is 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 bring that consistency, a million Easter eggs, as well as sort of the idea of, of this world being a complete bubble and everything inside of it exists only inside this bubble. The newspapers uh, never talk about what's happening in the outside world. Only ha- it's what's happening in Westview, New Jersey is all that matters. There is no world outside of Westview. And Russell was a key part of that. Mark Worthington, our production designer, who's a genius. Again, these people, Russell did Pleasantville and also the big Marvel movies. Like Mark Worthington did, you know, everything from Lost and Ugly Betty to American Horror Story. And, you know, he's the production designer capable of any tone, genre, style, whatever. Our costume designer, Myas Rubio, who did Thor Ragnarok, also did Jojo Rabbit, like brilliant at all of these different things. And so you need, I needed uh, collaborators in every department as well as the actors who could who could really jump between these different styles. Speaking of jumping between different styles, um, obviously we have sort of this duality of the real, real world elements coming into Wanda's world. Um, could you talk a little bit about some of the stylistic choices that you used when peppering some of these real world elements, whether it was the toy plane or uh, some radio transmissions? Yeah, I mean, that's a, the toy plane is an example of one of our one to one. We have a lot of transformation, things that exist out in the real world that then we find uh, sort of defanged versions of inside Wanda's world. So there is a drone from the outside world that is could be threatening. It, it goes through our, well, you know, our boundary, as it were, and is transformed into a sweet vintage helicopter toy. Um, and that's really what Wanda does in, in, in many instances, which is to take anything from the outside world that's a real threat and turn it simply into a sitcom prop. You know, this is a, a woman who has suffered a great deal and uh, the world she's choosing, you know, and now I'm jumping ahead for, you know, those who have watched more episodes, um, you know, the world she's choosing to build is is one that is free of real tragedy and real stakes that it ex- the, the the worst thing that can happen is shenanigans sitcom shenanigans you know things that are easy small problems will you fit in will you do well at the talent show will the boss like what you cook for dinner those are the kind of problems that Wanda Maximoff wants to deal with and so that's the world she's made you know you've mentioned a handful of shows that you guys used for inspiration but i'm curious what are some of the if there were any episodes or particular shows that you haven't mentioned, films, books, anything that sort of inspired you uh, as you were working in these really fun, different episodes. It, incredibly fun homework, by the way, watching lots of old television. It was, it was, we watched everything from Lucy and Dick Van Dyke and, you know, the Donna Reed show and the Andy Griffith show, you name it. I mean, we, I tried to focus most of my attention on family sitcoms through time. So even though, you know, there's Taxi and all sorts of amazing things to, you know, other shows like that, since if it's not about a family, a core dynamic, you know, sort of nuclear family, I didn't really pay too much attention to it. But those are sort of the early era ones, Bewitched, I Dream of Genie. Of course, anything that's dealing with someone with special powers, like Bewitched mm-hmm. or Genie. We also looked at Adam's Family and the Munsters and stuff like that. Um, of course, when you get into the 70s, it's all in the family. It's the Brady Bunch. I mean, there's a lot of different things happening. Less all in the family because it was more political. It was more in touch with the world outside. And we are very insular in wanting to talk about what's important as family and 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 sort of how a family navigates the, their world as opposed to the world outside. And then, you know, up into the 80s with Family Ties and Full House, uh, we especially like looking at Full House for obvious <laughs> reasons. And then, you know, all the way up into uh, Happy Endings and Modern Family and Malcolm in the Middle and... Uh, you name it, the office less again, more like the office is more like taxi because it's more it's less about family. Uh, so more, I would say, modern family when you get to the modern era of sitcom. Um, we're about to wrap up real soon. Um, but I was, you know, you talked about how the MCU is all connected in this, all all these different cool things for the films and the shows. But it's also the filmmakers, right? It's it's it seems like the Marvel Studios has this great connectivity of of personalities and visions and and really cool stuff. Were you able to talk with any of the other MCU directors and creative minds and get any cool advice or thoughts as you started to veer into this amazing series of realities? <laughs> yes, definitely. I had a uh, nice chat with Peyton Reed and Taika and the Russos and. 
Sam Raimi, quite a few different folks along the way. What I love is that there's all of the filmmakers that Kevin has brought in are are ones that I admire personally. I love the work that they do. I love the way that they deal with comedy and uh, large scale action. That balance is essential to the MCU success. Um, uh, and so just being able to sort of uh, osmose what I could from those other filmmakers to kind of bring that same approach uh, to what I was doing was really important. Okay, I want to ask a spicy question, but because I love my job, I'm not going to make it too spicy. So, <laughs> um, you know, Marvel fans love their Easter eggs. We love them. They're our favorite. I will not ask you to call one out, but if we were to look in this first couple episodes for, for anything, where would you tell us to like look anywhere or keep an eye on anything? I mean, a few of them have already made it into the trailer and the and the Internet ran with those, like the label on the bottle of wine at dinner. Um, I would say maybe uh, the opening title sequence to uh, to episode two has a lot of good ones in it. All right. There you have it. If you got to watch episode one now and then start watching episode two so you can find all the sweet Easter eggs. Yep. Yep. They are in there. Part of the cool <laughs> thing is that because this is, WandaVision is on Disney+, Plus, folks can watch it over and over and over again in the safety of their homes, and you know they will. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show with us and chatting with us about WandaVision. We're super excited, man. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Oh, Matt Shackman, just such a wonderful guy and so interesting. And gosh, the series has just been so amazing. But you know what? We're not done talking mm -hmm. about Marvel Studios WandaVision. Next week, we're going to have on cinematographer Jess Hall to talk a bit more about the filming of the show. Uh, but we wanted to ask y'all, what is your favorite episode from the entire series of Marvel Studios WandaVision? You can go by decade. You can go by episode number. And why? Yeah, and that's going to tie in because... Jess did some amazing work along with the rest of the team in building the look of the show and really making it feel authentic to each period. I like I go back and forth between all of them because mm -hmm. I love them all so much. I'm torn between the 2000s and the 2010s <sighs> because my wife and I watched the entirety of Modern Family as it was yes. going along and they nailed that look, the vibe of it, just everything about it, the specific like camera look and the tone mm. of it was so perfect. But then at the same time, like every single one of them was so good. Oh, gosh, gosh, it was great. I think the 2000s sort of modern fa family style, like really, it's something that we've been watching for over the last decade or so. Mm -hmm. And so that really, really hit home. But I also loved that 70s episode. Yeah. And just give me every single one of those theme songs. Those theme songs. My oh. goodness. The greatest. So good. There's plenty to choose from. You'll let us know. You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twinpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. And of course, please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show so we can read it on the show. Yeah, that's how that works. Hmm? Last week, we asked you guys, what are you most pumped about watching the entirety of Marvel Studios' WandaVision? And we had a bunch of answers here, so let's get into them. And before we get into all these amazing uh, answers to that question, spoiler warning. We're going to there's a lot of spoilery yeah. answers and some even some spoilery questions and some discussion that we're going to get into. So uh, if you haven't seen the finale of Marvel Studios WandaVision, please go watch it one more time again. Yeah. Do it and then come listen to the comments. Yeah. Steve Agnew at Viking Prince says, thinking of the Scarlet Witch's powers, I am excited to think of multiple MCU stories and realities now possible after Marvel Studios' WandaVision. I agree with Lorraine. Give us the Scooby gang of Darcy, Jimmy, and Monica now. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I love them. They're just the best little group. Oh, come on now. I know. Next up, we have a message from Jet Nelson, who said, Hi, Lorraine and Ryan. You two are amazing. Put a smile on my face whenever I hear your voices. My favorite part of Marvel Studios' WandaVision was the Ralph Boner joke. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, spoilers, but amazing. The writers really drove us all crazy when Evan Peters showed up, but they were just messing with us. I couldn't stop laughing. I had another question for you, too. I grew up watching things like X-Men Evolution, 
Vision and Wolverine and the X-Men, and the X-Men quickly became my favorite team. I just recently started reading comic books, and I want to read an X-Men book, but there are so many. The couple that I've read leave me confused because there's a bunch of characters I don't recognize, and they're usually in a situation, and I don't know how they got there. Are there any X-Men comic runs that you could recommend to me? Anyways, you two are amazing and can do no wrong. Have a nice day. <laughs> Terrific. I'm going to go rob a bank if I could yeah. do no wrong. Thank you, Jeff. No wrong over here. Haha. <laughs> Oh, man, I love this kind of question, especially as like a ginormous, dumb X-Men fan. Like Mm -hmm. I've read pretty much every X-Men book published. It's tough because, Jet, you want stuff that feels familiar and there's nothing current that is going to hit that Wolverine and the X-Men or X-Men Evolution vibe. But there is a Wolverine and the X-Men book. That came out a bunch of years ago. That's really good. It's where Wolverine and Kitty Pride sort of run the school. And it's really good. That was a lot of fun. I mean, I also think like go spring for Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. I really personally think that second launch of Giant Size X-Men in 1972 is just like, it's so fresh. It's an easy place to start. Those are some really amazing classic comics and classic storylines that happen in that run in particular, I think. And even though it's the 70s, it feels more current than some of the earlier stuff. If you're wanting something a little more current, I would also say Astonishing X-Men is, you know, probably 10, 15 years old now, but it's a nice, clean storyline. You don't need to know much. It's mostly familiar characters to you, and it's a really good story, good art. Yeah. If you do check out Giant Size X-Men, then jump into Uncanny X-Men with issue number 94 that sort of picks up right afterwards. There's New X-Men. I think it starts with 114 is another like sort of starting point that is one of my favorite runs of comics of all time. It gets weird. It gets crazy. uh, And there's a lot of introducing of ideas and characters. So it can get you in on the ground floor. And then if you maybe picked up something recent and weren't sure where you were, Try House of X and Powers of 10, Um, especially if you have Marvel Unlimited. There's reading lists for that stuff that'll sort of bring you into what is going on with the comics nowadays and then give you starting points to go in, start reading the current run of X-Men and the current run of Excalibur and all these other characters and, and stories and stuff. Maybe you'll find stuff that sort of fits really, really well into what you want. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. Read all the comics and then let us know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, let us know. Keep us surprised of your updates, Jet. All right, we've got a tweet in here from Tony at T. Bizzlesworth who said, I love Marvel Studios Infinity War and Marvel Studios Endgame. I think WandaVision may be in my top three MCU events. It was perfect. Yeah, love that. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, the feels. Our friend, our mutual friend, Lorraine Angelique Rocher, host of (laughs) Marvel's Voices, Mm -hmm. was watching those Avengers films recently. It got me itching. I was like, "Mm, I really I feel like I want to watch them. But like, I also am one of those people who wants to watch everything leading up to things. So then I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, I've got another 20 movies to watch before I get there if I do it that way. Yeah, I recently went through them, but man, the ending to Marvel Studios Avengers Infinity War, ugh, it still hurts. Next up, we have this one from AL77 at AL77Z. I'm really excited to see the repercussions from Wanda's evolution in Spider-Man No Way Home and, of course, in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. I'm pumped to see the Scarlet Witch Wrecking the Multiverse. We have no idea what is to come in those series, so we'll have to wait. Well, I do know that last year at the Walt Disney Investor Day, Kevin Feige did say that Elizabeth Olsen will return in Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. But that's it. That's all we know. We don't know anything else. We know we have a thing that he said and what happened at the end of the Disney Plus original series. Mm Mm-hmm. And there we go. We'll hold tight and see what that all means in the future. That's right. We got another tweet in here from Leah Aloha at Nicole Explosion, which says, seeing the Scarlet Witch become the most powerful being in the universe and understanding Monica's troubled feelings toward Captain Marvel. That's what they're excited about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Truth. Next up, we have this one that says, this one from Jay at Yunbun says, Wanda's new outfit is fire. Also excited to see Monica. Where did Vision go? Hopefully Agatha comes back in the end credit scene. Goosebumps. Applause to everyone who worked on the show. Oh, man. Spoiler-a-palooza, but dang straight. 
I think that those are how we all felt. Our co-host, James Monroe Iglehart, immediately texted Ryan and I and was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's one of my favorite things about the <laughs> weekly releases is waiting for James to text us, like I freaking know. out. Because we've watched it before him. And then he'll be like, ah! it's great. Yeah, it's my favorite. It's so good. We've got another tweet in here from Onward at Jarell Zod, which says, To see Wanda finally becoming the Scarlet Witch and to see her face off with Agatha Harkness. My question is, what is this dark magic that she has harnessed within her? What is this source? No one talks about it. Also, seeing Vision of the Mind Stone battle with Synthesoid Vision... Also, the Nexus pill, like that's deep Marvel comic diving. It was commercial, but there has to be more to it. Jarrell going all over the place, lots of stuff to be pumped about and excited about and questions galore. I'm just going to say that I actually tweeted a picture of this. It's from West Coast Avengers number 61. It's one of my favorite spreads. And Agatha Harkness is talking about the importance of the Scarlet Witch. And the Scarlet Witch has sort of like this bisectioned, you know, half and half sort of two looks like a more modern look and a more classic look. And then you see all these historical periods happening around her in a circle. And it talks about how she's a nexus being and how essentially only one of her exists in the multiverse and makes her the nexus of reality in some ways. Mm -hmm. So that brought me a whole bunch of happiness. (laughs) How it'll relate in the MCU and how much of that is true for the MCU remains to be seen. But the comics gave me the feels. Yeah, they did. Next up, we have this one from Karis Pollard at a Karis Pollard that says the this week in Marvel question was, what are you most pumped about for WandaVision? Seems odd phrasing. It's hard to feel pumped about the depiction of grief, though it was so emotionally satisfying and resonant. Seeing Wanda work through her grief, not perfectly, was real. Mm -hmm. I was made to think about how I reacted to my mother dying and working through that. And though I didn't reshape reality, literally, a death of someone you're close to does reshape your reality and you do respond. So, Thank you for a complex, interesting reflection of grieving. Ending on more of a high, I can't help but be pumped for the tease of one of my favorites, Wiccan. Yeah, and Karis posted a gif of the boys when Billy like stops Tommy from when he's running and he like oh. you see a little bit of burst of power and they get excited like you got powers too such a sweet moment oh my gosh i know oh, all right let's keep it rolling and we've got another tweet here from yojimbo at kage yojimbo which says i enjoyed the vision on vision logic fight over the ship of theseus conundrum it was mm-hmm. nice to see two super powered ai duke it out not only physically but also to talk things out plus Spectral Vision had a voice that was pretty badass. Next up, we have this one from David Peppa at Davy Deals 314, who says, After watching Marvel Studios' WandaVision, I am super pumped about seeing Wanda's next adventure, especially after watching that post-credit scene. Ugh, if only I could multitask like that, you know? <laughs> That's the dream, right? Like, yeah. Just so I could organize my office, but also play with the baby and then maybe watch a movie or play a video game. I'm very selfish. All the things I want to do for myself. Yeah. I want to like, you know, read a book while I (laughs) do chores. I have not read a book the entire pandemic. I just haven't. There's been no time. I want to read books again. You will when your baby is less baby. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. Uh, But that is so far away and we'll get to it in the future. But that's a wrap for us right now on this episode. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Canavos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Ralph Boner. Ralph Boner, thank you for existing. What a Ralph. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.